Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called The Sweet Miracle of Our Empty Hands. God Calls Moses and Jeremiah. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, August the 31st, 2014. During a family vacation this summer, I reread the novel Diary of a Country Priest by George Bernanos. The novel was published in 1936. It won the grand prize from the French Academy, one of the oldest and most prestigious literary awards in France, and was made into an award-winning movie later in 1951. Bernanos tells the story of a young, unnamed priest who struggles with his sense of vocation. Despite his earnest efforts and the encouragement of a trusted colleague, he feels like a failure. And from a human perspective, he's not mistaken. His small rural parish is bored, boring, and petty. They gossip about him. He gets hate mail. His catechism class and sports club both falter. He gets embroiled in the bitter struggles of a wealthy family. He clashes with clergy bureaucrats over how to do his job. Nonetheless, the priest perseveres. He loves his people. He visits every home every year. He prays for them. His personal life is just as bad. He broods about the shame and pain of his peasant upbringing. He suffers from a chronic illness, an impoverished diet, and no money. He's self-conscious about his superhuman clumsiness and his social awkwardness. He has what he calls an insuperable disgust with his absurd self. He's powerless in the presence of suffering and ponders the mystery of prayer. He's lonely and isolated. He sometimes feels like he's play-acting and parroting pious clichés. Reflecting upon what he calls his wretched weakness, he confides to his diary, Oh yes, I've worked hard enough. I've done my best. But what's the use? My best is nothing. He says he's like a hornet in a bottle, and so he keeps his diary. To keep himself honest, unburden himself to God, and record what he calls the simple, trivial secrets of a very ordinary kind of life. His diary reflects this sense of futility about his call to ministry. He writes, we pay a heavy, very heavy price for the superhuman dignity of our calling. The ridiculous is always so near to the sublime. And the world, usually so indulgent to foibles, hates ours instinctively. And so he frets. Am I where the Lord would have me? Twenty times a day I ask this question. 
The Old Testament readings this week describe how God called Moses and Jeremiah. They were unlikely candidates for improbable vocations. Moses, of course, was the protagonist in Israel's exodus from Egypt. After surviving infanticide, he grew up in Pharaoh's household at the center of political power. As an adult, he murdered an Egyptian for beating a fellow Hebrew, which in turn caused that same Pharaoh to try to murder him. And so he ran away. Ran away. But in what Exodus 3.1 calls the far side of the desert, God called Moses to return to Egypt, the land of Israel's oppressors, to face down Pharaoh and to liberate his people. The Exodus was a liberation from oppression and exploitation, a miraculous deliverance, one of God's mighty acts of power. It was a dramatic intervention to shatter the enemy, work wonders, and break the powers of bondage. The Exodus reverberates throughout the Bible as a reminder of God's power to save. It's celebrated at Passover even today by Jews. Then there's Jeremiah, a prophet during Israel's exile to Babylon. Whereas Moses confronted enemy Egypt, Jeremiah foretold Israel's destiny with disaster. To the prophets, priests, and kings of his own nation, Jeremiah preached an unpatriotic, seditious, and judgmental message. Stop feeding our people reckless lies and false hopes. Stop betraying them with your delusional messages of comfort. National disaster is upon us. Exile meant deportation to pagan Babylon. For God's elect nation, it was unthinkable, beyond comprehension. What had happened? Where were God's mighty acts of power? How could God abandon them to a pagan enemy? But God was present in exile as well as in Exodus. We read in Jeremiah 29.11 those famous words, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Both Moses and Jeremiah responded to God's call with protests about their personal inadequacies. They experienced failure, opposition from detractors, and deep discouragements. Moses is famous for his litany of fears in Exodus 3 and 4. <clears throat> Lack of confidence, limited skill, insecurities about his personal identity, and fear of rejection. For his 40 years of faithfulness to God's call, Jeremiah was beaten, received death threats, imprisoned, thrown down a well, and derided as an unpatriotic traitor. Almost no one listened to him. He was a man of reproach among his own people. 
Anyone who has struggled to hear God's call can identify with Jeremiah and Moses. Their many struggles, real and imagined, remind us that there's no divine call without human conflict. In Bernanos's novel, an older colleague affirms the young priest's vocation. He encourages him with wise advice. He says, keep saying your lessons. Go on with your work. Keep at the little daily things that need doing till the rest comes. Concentrate. Think of a lad at his homework, trying so hard and his tongue sticking out. That's how our Lord would have us be when he gives us up to our own strength. Little things, they don't look like much, yet they bring peace. Like wild flowers which seem to have no scent until you get a field full of them. Keep marching to the end, he tells the discouraged priest, and try to end up quietly at the roadside without shedding your equipment. And that's what the young priest did. In one turn of events, he's shocked to see how God clearly used him in the life of a parishioner. He says, O oh, miracle, thus to be able to give what we ourselves do not possess. Sweet miracle of our empty hands. In the end, the priest makes peace with God's call on his life. He says, well, it's all over now. The strange mistrust I had of myself, of my own being, has flown. I believe forever. That conflict is done. I cannot understand it anymore. I'm reconciled to myself, to the poor, poor shell of me. How easy it is to hate oneself. True grace is to forget. Yet if pride could die in us, the supreme grace would be to love oneself in all simplicity. I wish I had read Bernardo's novel in seminary, although I was probably too young then to have understood its message. The Diary of a Country Priest is a sort of book to savor when you're at least 50. By that time, if you're lucky, your human struggles with the divine call have carved lines into your face in deep channels in your heart. Moses, Jeremiah, and the young priest all persevered in their calls. Every divine vocation requires our human perseverance. But God gives us more than an exhortation to perseverance. He promises his presence. When Moses doubted his deepest self, God assured him in Exodus 3.12, I will be with you. And to Jeremiah, he promised the exact same thing. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Jeremiah 1.8 and 15.22 And so on his deathbed, the young, nameless priest confessed, and so should we. Grace is everywhere.
For further reflection, I recommend the novel Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Near the end of his life, the pastor Ames writes to his son, and here I quote, I always imagine divine mercy giving us back to ourselves and letting us laugh at what we became, laugh at the preposterous disguises of crouch and squint and limp and lower we all do put on. I enjoy the hope that when we meet in heaven, I will not be estranged from you by all the oddness life has carved into me. For books this week, I review a title called The Book of Common Prayer, a biography. The author is Alan Jacobs, Princeton, Princeton University Press, 2013, 236 pages. This volume is the newest installment in a series of 21 biographies of great religious books by Princeton University Press. It's called Lives of Great Religious Books, and it's a series of short volumes that recount the complex and fascinating histories of important religious texts from around the world. The volumes pair leading experts with classic texts and are written for a general audience. In earlier pages and reviews of Journey with Jesus, I have reviewed several of these books, Augustine's Confessions by Gary Wills, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Letters and Papers from Prison by Martin Marty, The Book of Mormon by Paul C. Gutjahr, and The Dead Sea Scrolls by John Collins. These are all wonderful books. Alan Jacobs maintains that high standard with his treatment of the Book of Common Prayer, which is a study that includes the roles of language, liturgy, history, politics, doctrine, and aesthetics. Even those who've never heard of the Book of Common Prayer know some of its venerable language, like, I plight thee my troth, or ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Such has been its cultural influence since publication in 1549. The book is primarily the work of Thomas Cranmer, Archbishop of Canterbury. It's a book that, written in the vernacular of ordinary believers, pulled the church out of a thousand years of an incomprehensible Latin liturgy. It was also a tool of socio-political control that intended to consolidate the rule of the English state over the English church. And in some ways, this happened. All over the world today, believers still follow its liturgical lead. But in other ways, across three centuries of strife, that was always an elusive goal, or what Jacobs calls a consoling fiction. From the very beginning, the Book of Common Prayer had its defenders and detractors. Some people thought its Episcopal government and language about altars and priests was too papist, while others argued the opposite. Some loved the set forms for prayers and worship, while for others this was mindless repetition that institutionalized what should be deeply personal. 
For dissenters and nonconformists, the Book of Common Prayer epitomized the church's entanglement with and coercion by the state. After 350 years, many people find the venerable language off-putting. The BCP has been the subject of many revisions and even riots. It's been banned and burned. Cranmer was burned to death in the streets of Oxford in 1556. Despite all the conflict and controversy, there are still many good reasons why the Book of Common Prayer is on Princeton's short list of one of the greatest religious texts ever. Alan Jacobs, The Book of Common Prayer, A Biography, Princeton University Press. For movies this week, we have a blast from the past. Groundhog Day, 1993. A friend urged me to watch this film, and I'm glad I did. It's a clever romantic comedy that still wears well after 20 years. Phil Connors, played by Bill Murray, is a hotshot weatherman, or so he thinks. For four straight years, he's been relegated to cover Groundhog Day in Puxatawney. He's sarcastic by nature and bitter about the assignment. Nothing's good enough for him. Not the coffee, not the shower, and definitely not the hokey holiday. For that bad attitude, he's doomed to relive that same day over and over. At first, with no tomorrow, he lives with impunity, robs a bank, and tries adultery. But he eventually learns his lessons and becomes Mr. Nice Guy. Falling in love with his perky producer, Rita, played by Andy McDowell, of course helps. The message seems to be that we can choose to make each day what we want and live with bitterness or gratitude. So, carpe diem, seize the day. Groundhog Day, 1993. For poetry this week, we've actually published a prayer. It's a prayer by Soren Kierkegaard, who lived his short life from 1813 to 1855. O Lord, calm the waves of this heart. Calm its tempests. Calm yourself, O my soul, so that the divine can act in you. Calm yourself, O my soul, so that God is able to repose in you so that his peace may cover you. Yes, Father in heaven, often have we found that the world cannot give us peace. Oh, but make us feel that you are able to give peace. Let us know the truth of your promise, that the whole world may not be able to take away your peace. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, August 31st, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.